Come on, put one to your head. All you got is attempted robbery. Armed robbery. All right, armed then. Yeah. Uh, nobody's been hurt. Release the hostages. Nobody's going to worry over kidnapping charges. The most you're going to get is five years. You get out in one year, huh? Kiss me, man. What? Kiss me. When I'm being fucked, I like to get kissed hey, a come lot. Come on, yeah. come on, come on. You're a city cop, right? Robbing a bank's a federal offense. They got me on kidnapping, armed robbery. They're going to bury me, man. I don't want to talk to somebody who's trying to calm me. Get somebody in charge here. I am in charge I don't want to talk to some flunky pig trying to calm me, man. You don't have to be calling What's he pig? doing? And what are you get back what over there? What are you over there? over there for? What are you What's get the doing? fuck back there? Huh? Get back What's there, What's he what doing? Look at him with him. Get over there. Go on back there, man. Get over there, will ya? He wants to kill me so bad, he can taste it. I'm going to always going to kill you. Attica! 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 Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to uh, what should be a rousing conversation about quite the film that we both enjoy a little film called Dog Day Afternoon. We're going to give you some banter and some recommends. Uh, now, uh, what, what, what you folks listening might not know, uh, but what Ian and I know, um, is that while, while this episode will come out a week after the last one, it's, it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, I, I took a little uh, a mini vacation over to the great state of Idaho to visit my, my grandfather, uh, who, who spoiled my kids. And uh, and my kids ran us ragged, so you know I'm I'm very tired. <laughs> I, I'm catching up. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad it was still a good trip out to the great state of Idaho. Have you have you had much time to to watch movies in these couple of weeks where we haven't recorded? I I have. Um, I will say maybe that's a great play. Thank you. What a great segue because I will say that uh, it has been a week of either just wanting to shut my brain off or letting Melissa pick the movie. And both of those can sometimes lead to not great choices. Um, so uh, two of Melissa's picks in the last couple of weeks have been uh, Final Destination 2 and the remake to the Amityville Horror. Oh, was that the who uh, Ryan Reynolds in the yep. in the James Brolin part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Final Destination Two is very famous for the the uh, the trailer full of the the timber, the logs and shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I will say uh, about I don't want to sp- I don't want to give these movies much time because quite honestly they don't deserve it. Um, Final Destination Two is, if anything else, just very funny. The deaths are hilarious um but like the movie doesn't embrace that enough have you seen the happy death day movies oh no no i'm aware of them though those are fun like those are very aware that it's very campy and ridiculous and they're sort of leaning into the humor this one is still kind of on the edge of taking itself seriously and it just it just doesn't work um amityville horror is just bad ryan reynolds 
I like him when he, I, you know what? Ryan Reynolds can play himself. And I think when he tries to go out of that box, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't, he, he's, he's charismatic, but it has to be right. This was just not the right role for him. It was. Yeah, it was, no, it's, it's, uh, he's not the Ryan Reynolds we all know yet at that. I mean, he'd done Van Wilder. Yes. But I don't think he'd done waiting yet. There's there's certainly no Green Lantern. None of like the superhero stuff that he's known for now. Yeah. This is a weird transitionary sort of period, Ryan Reynolds, if I remember, because it's 05 or 06, something like that. 05. Yeah. 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 Not good. Yeah. Not good. Don't. Just just, just in case you're wondering, uh, don't. Just don't. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I I will not. Now, Uh, we, we did indulge. In, in some kind of a mindlessness uh, film, but I enjoyed the spectacle of it. And I'm wondering if you had a chance to watch the new Godzilla versus Kong movie. Uh, I've not. I keep uh, <laughs> I keep trying to bring this one up to Liz, and every time it's shot down with this, a resounding, what the fuck are you talking about? It, and, he, and again, here's the thing. It's not good, but it also is a, it's very aware of the movie that it is, right? Um, you know, everybody is kind of, you know, playing their parts right. For example, Damien Bashir plays like the, uh, he's, I don't, I don't know the names of the shit. He's the head of one of the companies in the film. And he, it's like, if he had a long enough mustache, he would be twirling it in the movie, right? He's very aware of what, you know, and then there, there are very hero parts, right? And there are other, there's, everybody's very aware of what they're doing. Um, I am not a big, uh, style over substance person but the the effects were cool and it was just i i won't get i won't watching king kong and godzilla just literally get into like fist fights was just kind of fun and funny and like ridiculous and that was what we watched the day we got back after our nine hour drive from boise and it was like the perfect thing to be like oh yes just wash over me just 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 cleanse me of that road trip and i will absorb you in the best way that i can so you know it's good for what it is I had I had one thing spoiled for me, Uh-oh. just because the internet. But I mean, it not I guess not really a spoiler. Just one of those moments that probably made you go, "What the fuck?" It's like Godzilla, uh, uh, Kong gets his shoulder dislocated and he <laughs> pops it back in like on a skyscraper, totally like fucking Martin Riggs style in Lethal Weapon Two. And I was thinking, when I saw when I saw somebody post that, I went, "What the fuck is this movie?" Oh, dude, Kong. Kong is a bro. Kong is yoked, and he knows the fight's not done. So he's gonna do what he needs to do to get back in it, man. Popping his shoulder back in Martin Riggs you, style. You know it. You know it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, so what? <laughs> what? What have you been watching? I hope. I hope to God better than some of the shit I've been watching. Well, you know, it's 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 back and forth. Um, anybody who doesn't know, I have been laid off. And and uh, at this point, by the time this episode comes out, I'll have been laid off for a little while. So I have had plenty of time to watch stuff and things. <laughs> and uh, not all of those things have been great. I've been trying to catch up on, uh, we'll talk about it next week, but I'm all caught up on the Best Picture noms now and a couple of the other uh, ah, acting roles I that I was one missing. More. One more I got. Uh, you, you, wh- which one are you missing? The Father, but we're going to watch oh, that dude. this week. We're watching dude, it this week. It's so good. Um, yeah, no, Pieces of a Woman and United States versus Billy Holiday, I've got those in now. We'll talk more about those next week, so I don't need to waste time with it here. Um, gotta, dude, 
I think I texted you about this one. The Tina Turner documentary on HBO. You did, yeah. Legitly one of the five best fucking documentaries I've ever seen. Wow. And that's not just a bias because, I mean, I, I, how can you not love Tina Turner? And her story is so amazing and inspirational. I mean, it's, uh, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think it's a, it's a movie that's, oh, it's just gonna, I don't know. It's some, this is some sort of backhanded misogyny, maybe, I don't know. But I think that this should be required viewing for, for women in distress, women who are, who have this kind of shitty situation in their life. Her story is such an inspiration how she got herself out from under Ike's thumb. I mean, it's really, it's really an important story, and I think it's I think it's necessary viewing for for everybody. I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, I also what else did I what else did I get? And I got in um, to die for. I think I talked to you a little bit about to die for the Gus Van Sant, which is not good, dude. Like this movie has this this reputation about it, like it's a big star making vehicle for for Nicole Kidman. It's it's spoken about with a degree of reverence, and I just I didn't get it. I mean, I put it up there with Elephant as like the weirdest and worst things that Gus Van Sant has done. It just it didn't work for me. Even the performances, where everything about it is just slightly off kilter because it's trying to be a super dark comedy, but the comedy never really lands. Gotcha. And that yeah, whole I, mockumentary style did not work. I, I will say that has not deterred me from wanting to watch it. Like I, I, I've known of this movie for, I mean, for quite some time and it just, it, I just, it's never been, it, I've never been motivated enough to watch it, but, but if, I still, if nothing else, if nothing else, it's worth watching for Joaquin Phoenix and, and very much babyface Casey Affleck. Oh, oh yeah. They're both, they're both really good in it. Okay. Uh, like, it's one of those things where, like, if you had seen it back in the day, if you saw it in 95, there was no way, there was no mistaking that Joaquin wasn't going to be a star. Like, he is yeah. phenomenally good. And he, hands down, the best thing in it. Nope. There uh, you go. I watched uh, I watched Heist with uh, the David Mamet movie. Yeah. With Del- Delroy Lindo and Gene Hackman. I was, I'm not going to lie. I, the had the Heist. Never, had you never seen no, it No, I'd never seen it. Okay. I mean the the daylight robbery heist of the the Swiss Airlines, all of that is absolutely incredible. But like most David Mamet, it is overwritten. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's and that bummed me out. And it was like Gene Hackman, it just I don't know, man. It's nothing you haven't seen Gene Hackman do before. And Danny DeVito is really trying his best with that dialogue. It's a bad performance from DeVito, which is yeah, a shame. It's- I think it's a fun movie. I just, I do, I, I, I think it's eighty percent miscast. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like, I, like, pers- like Gene Hackman is great. I, but Gene Hackman is too old for that role, personally. Oh, I think somebody, hundred percent, and like Clooney at that point would have been too young. But like, yeah, if you Clo- could meet in the middle somewhere, yeah. Um, but I love that line. It's so. I think Ricky Jay has a line. He's like, "My motherfucker's so cool that when he goes to sleep, sheep count him." Oh, I, that, that's a good that one. line. Is fucking awesome. And of course, I was so psyched when I saw the late great Ricky Jay. And like, anytime <laughs> he pops up in something, like he's even if like this, the movie that underwhelms you, he is still a badass in it. Yeah. And Delroy Lindo was great, but yep. I don't know, just underwhelming. Yeah. Just yeah, pretty fair. pretty much. Um, and then uh, the one I got a shout out. This was a this was a gift from you to me. <laughs> That's beautiful gift that sent me on a whole John Carpenter fucking rabbit hole. 
Because after I watched this, I also watched Prince of Darkness, which was, ah, it's okay. Prince of Darkness is a bit underwhelming. But uh, They Live with Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Yes. The, the, the story of the man who, who sees the real world. He puts on the glasses and he sees these aliens, these people who have, like, taken over our society. And there's the huge... You know, when he puts them on, everything becomes black and white, and all the all the signs, all the advertising say what they really mean, like, go to sleep, obey. There's a great bit where he sees somebody holding a fistful of money, and the money is just blank white paper that says, this is your god. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, dude, it's, it's so relevant, it hurts. And it's got one of the, it's got one of the greatest fistfights in film history in it, between him and Keith David. The great Keith David, obviously oh, yeah. from from uh, uh, Requiem for a Dream, and and the he's thing. a thing. Yeah, 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 man. I mean, this movie, this movie is, it's so much. It's it's perfect. I get it. I understand the cult following now, and I'm I'm bummed it took me so long to get here. But now that I get here, now that I'm here, you know, I feel like I'm I'm in the know. It's, well, it's nice. You know, what's great about that is that I get to I I get to say uh, I'm not in the know, but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, man. It was a that was a great gift. I it it was, it was perfect, absolutely perfect. Everything about that. Liz and I were in immediate. Like the second that John Carpenter score drops, because yeah. even if it's even in a bad John Carpenter movie, you're still going to get a great score. Yeah. And like the second that like pounding like driving force of his like electronic score starts, man, yeah. we were just we were hooked. And nice. I mean. As I as I think I mentioned to you, Roddy Rowdy Piper, I mean, not the greatest actor in the world, but man, he fucking he swings for it, like oh, all yeah. the way. He's in it all the way. Well, there's something about and, and and you can see this throughout the years too. I mean, people who have transitioned from professional wrestling, specifically not just athletes, but professional wrestlers transitioning to film, they don't have that veneer of of like. There's something about watching like actual athletes try and make that that crossover into acting where it doesn't always work because they're not out there performing. They're doing their job, right? They're they're out there being athletic and, and good at whatever sport they're doing. But there is so much showmanship to wrestling that I, I mean, yeah, even though they're not the quote unquote best actors, they you can't not say that they're not going for it. And and yeah. I <laughs> That's great. Um so, so I'm gonna get to my I'm gonna get to my recommend, and I was really it was tough because I I have two two films that are are so uh, vehicle based, and I almost went with uh, Train to Busan, which I think at some point I've mentioned on the show. It wasn't a recommend, but I think I think I've mentioned, um, which is a great film. It's a uh, I think it's a Korean film, and you if you haven't seen it, it's a zombie movie. And they're stuck on a train, and I, it's it's great. I actually we watched it again last night, and it's got some heart to it and some good storylines. But I'm not gonna lie, I went, I had to, so I I forget how long ago this was. Um, but a recommend I had a long time ago was The Fugitive, because every once in a while, you have to go back to an old standard that just lives in your heart, and it, it especially helps if it's not in the book. So uh, a, a while ago. We were we, we knew we wanted to watch something, but we didn't want to we didn't want to overthink it. And I I had been hankering the urge to rewatch this movie, a movie about a bus that can't drop below fifty miles an hour. And and re we rewatched Speed. 
Oh, I love it. And speed, you know what? I'm gonna, I don't mean to cut you off. 100% speed should be in the fucking book. Because oh, there's abs- not, there's not enough of that shit in the book. And speed, as I'm sure you're about to tell us, it fucking holds up. Yeah. Um, and forgot, if whatever planet you've been on, if you don't know what speed's about, just really quickly, Keanu Reeves uh, is, a, is an LA detective. And um, Dennis Hopper is a former Atlanta cop who lost a finger, was a bomb guy, and he's basically trying to redeem his pension that he lost out on. Um, and by doing so, he holds this bus full of uh, passengers hostage. Uh, the very famous thing where if the, once the bus goes over 50, it can't drop below 50 or it'll explode. If you try to unload the passengers, the bus will explode. Um, and Sandra Bullock gets ro- uh, roped into being the driver. She's one of the passengers on the bus. Um, also, great side performances from uh, Jeff Daniels and Joe Morton. Uh, but this is real. It's Keanu's movie, Dennis Hopper playing the like the menacing villain. Um, and it's just so... It's one of those things where obviously you have to accept the immediate premise, but even the opening, the stuff in the elevator is great. And even when they get off of the bus, I think it's, I think it's very smart. I mean, there's one glaring thing that, that Mythbusters has, has officially broken, which is the, the jump. There's the big jump on the freeway that uh, everybody has determined scientifically that could never happen. But you take away that like, four minutes of the movie right the recognition that that's coming up and the jump and then whatever this movie is a solid thriller and you know you forget if you if you haven't seen it in a while what the like how dennis hopper has eyes on the bus and what's going on um it's just it's a hell of an entertaining movie that doesn't go like unlike something like Kong versus Godzilla doesn't play into the campiness. It takes itself seriously, but also knows when to have fun. Um, and you've got like, you've got Jan de Bont, uh, such a great cinematographer for other great um, action movies, i.e. Die Hard, uh, behind the camera on this one. I mean, it's, it's like, it really does try to take out as much, as much of the plot as it possibly can while still having a story. And, but, but being about this bus hurtling down the streets. And I, one other thing, <laughs> That moment when the bus uh, hits the um, the uh, stroller full of cans, Melissa's gasp was so big that I I had to stifle the laugh because I wanted I needed her to live in the moment of thinking that the bus might have actually hit a child, and like when you find it, when when the movie reveals itself that it's cans, she was so pissed. At the movie, at the at the world, like at she you. Just was, she yeah, she was not cool with that scene at all. Was this Melissa's first time watching Speed? No, no, it wasn't at all. But okay. again, this is why Melissa is the best person to watch movies with, is because she will immediately forget those moments, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Like every about every four years or so, we'll rewatch The Usual Suspects because she forgets how it all plays out. And oh so it's God! Just, I wish I could have that. I'm so jealous. Like I know. to go back to go back and have that first watch of Usual Suspects again. Uh, I I would. I, there's so much that I would give to have that moment again. Side tangent: there, it was a teacher. It was a Stanwood High School teacher who told me about that movie, and and said so like you should you like movies you should watch this movie, and then I that weekend I immediately did and was like, like fucking like you know 15 year old brain just like exploded. Ga- that that's a game-changing film. Yeah. 
So anyways, I know it's ridiculous, but I'm not even going to lie. So yeah, my recommend this week is Speed. I love it, man. It's 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 part of this great... It's There was this whole lead... After Die Hard, because you, you mentioned rightly Die Hard, everybody wanted to make the next Die Hard after that. It was Under Siege, Die Hard on a Ship, Cliffhanger, Die Hard on a Mountains, and Speed, I think, is the best of them. Die Hard on a Bus. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think it quite has all the heart and soul in the same way that Die Hard did, but man, like, it's still... I'm, I'm in it, Every, you know... Stick it on right now. I'm. I'll be there. I. I can't. Once you start that movie, you can't turn it off. Exactly. For real. <laughs> it, it's great. It and the dialogue in it, like the the that end piece of dialogue. It's so ridiculous, but I I love it every time. After Dennis Hopper has been killed, he's like going, "I'm smarter than you." Blah blah blah. And, and Keanu, you know, lifts him up so his head gets cut off, and he's like, "Yeah, well, I'm taller." As if that makes any sense in that moment. <laughs> But it's it's great. Like that movie, hundred oh. percent knows knows what it is and doesn't you know, like you said with Godzilla versus Kong, it's probably not swinging too far. It's not. It doesn't swing as hard for the fences. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. Bob Quiz Hot Shot. What do you do? All right, all right. So what do you got? It, this it's week, so quotable. Oh. It's great. Even like oh, Jeff totally. Daniels as well. That, oh, that line yeah. that he has about, I'm going to go home and have sex. And they're like, you're going to go home and pass out. Yeah, like, well, yeah. that'll be fun, too. That'll be fun, too. <laughs> anyway, sorry. We, we could talk speed all day. <laughs> so what do you got? I got I got something vintage. I had myself a, uh, you know, leading up to, to Dog Day Afternoon, I thought I'll, I'll load up on some 70s cinema, specifically maybe some heist films, some crime movies. So I did myself a double feature. Uh one day last week, I think I did it on Monday, maybe, um, of The Seven Ups, which is not my recommend, but it's still a fairly interesting movie. The only problem with it is it's so hard not to compare it to The French Connection. It's not Friedkin, but it's uh, Philip D'Antoni, who he's directing it. He had produced French Connection. It's even got Roy Scheider in it as well. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it feels like a sort of unofficial sequel to French Connection. It's it's even like in the way it's plot and it's structure, it's even got a car a hardcore car chase pretty much in the same point as well. It's just it's a little hard. It's 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 both slower. I don't know. It's just a a poor man's French connection, but still entertaining enough. You yeah. know, I, I always felt bad for Roy Scheider when William Friedkin said, oh, this guy will never be anything more than second banana. I was like, that's that's not entirely fair. I think Roy Scheider was a great actor. Yeah. Uh, my recommend, though, this the second movie that I did on that day was a Don Siegel movie. We talked a little bit about Don Siegel on our Killers <laughs> episode. Yes, I, we did. I, I, he's, he's really hit and miss, but when he hits, I mean, Dirty Harry great movie the beguiled the original version of the beguiled with clint eastwood also a great movie uh he did one that this my recommend he did one with uh walter Matthau called charlie varick have you heard of charlie varick uh only from your tweet oh okay (laughs) did i i don't know i was i was kind of i'm not gonna lie i was drinking while i was i may have been drinking and tweeting dangerous there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) oh it can be i've had to delete a few yeah but uh, so Charlie Varick is a, f- a really intense little heist film. So you've got the the Walter Matthau character, him and his wife and two other guys. They go to rob this bank, and you know in the 
in the the heat of the moment, things get out of hand. One of the guys gets killed in the bank. Uh, his wife gets shot, and you know they realize that there's nothing they can do for her once they get away, uh, and so they they have to they have to leave her, and she dies pretty much in his arms. Um, him and the other guy end up escaping, and when they get back to Varric's trailer, they realize that they have way more money than they anticipated that they were ever going to get out of this tiny little bank in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. There was a three quarters of a million dollars in there, which is not the kind of money this bank should have. So immediately Varric goes, this is mob money. This was a drop point. So now he knows he's totally fucked, and he's got to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. But this other guy is like, no, 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 man, I don't, I don't want to do it like that, I don't want to disappear for three years and not touch the money, I don't want to go into hiding, any of that, and the guy's like a really headstrong pain in the ass, he was the guy, actually, I've got his name here, it was, um, Andrew Robinson, who was in another sequel movie, he was the Zodiac Killer in, uh, well, or whatever their version of the Scorpio Killer, I think they called him, but he was based on the Zodiac Killer in, in Dirty Harry, um, yeah, he's just this annoying piece of shit who Varric knows he's going to have to dump as soon as possible. So he goes about making his plans to try and get out of Dodge. While this is happening, Joe Don Baker comes onto the scene, this hitman uh, called Molly. And it's probably the best thing that he's ever done. Like, Joe Don Baker is phenomenally scary in this, in like an Anton Chigurh kind of way. Yeah, okay. He's really, really good. And it's just, it's just this great piece of Pulp Fiction... 70s heist you know it's it's i loved it i loved every moment of it and it's something it's something very different for walter Matthau, and apparently a, a, a project that he was very passionate about one of the the favorites of all the movies that he made uh I, I dug it man it's absolutely right up my alley these sort of pulpy 70s crime thrillers you know they're i'm a sucker for those i i i do know that i i know i spoiler alert where we think we got a couple of these coming up in our the rest of our season so maybe yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I can't say that I know. And actually, I got to be real. I, I, Walter Matthau's filmography, while I'm aware of a, a decent chunk of it, I definitely know I've not indulged in. I, I've seen very, very few of his movies. Well, for me, this was a blind buy. And the next time you pick up anything from Indicator, add this one to your cart. It's absolutely oh, worth it. I didn't realize and this there, was an Indicator. Oh, okay. Oh, absolutely. And there must be, dude, there must be like four hours worth of special features on this thing. Like, it's a really great, you absolutely getting your money's worth. Nice, nice, awesome. I will have to check that out. I, I think you should. Well, awesome. So there you go. We have we have two recommends this week. We got Speed and Charlie Barrick. But now it is time to start talking about Dog Day Afternoon. Before we even get into the movie, we're going to shout out one of our patrons, uh, Ryan Michael Zepp. This was one of, uh, at, at the tier that he's at, he gave us some movies. We looked through them and we were like, oh, I think, I don't even know how much we had to think about it. I mean, maybe we kind of did, but I, maybe deep down, we always kind of knew that this was the one that we, we, we wanted to tackle. Um, if, but also because we've been trying as best as we can this season to, to do directors we haven't talked about yet. And we have not done a Sidney Lumet film yet. We'll, we'll get to him in a second. So this movie is directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, this, uh, the screenplay was written by Frank Pearson based on the Life magazine article, The Boys in the Bank, uh, by P.F. Kludge and Thomas Moore, which when I did, and maybe we can spend a little bit of time uh, now even talking about that, because I, I knew that this was based on um, 
a, a kind of a, a real thing that happened, but um, you, I don't know. Should we just? I, I don't know how much I want this to come up later. So just talking about like the real people involved and like what happened afterwards with with the kind of the surviving members because that that's a it's a whole whole big wormhole of stuff. Yeah, no, you could make you could make another couple of movies. You could make a, a pretty decent <laughs> miniseries out of the fallout that came out of this movie. Uh, especially reading about the novelization and the way oh. that they, the way that they dealt with his wife. Yeah, it was really kind of shitty. Like I could understand the way that he like went after them for like defamation of character, and I think he I think he went after them for a libel suit, which he lost. Um, I think they well, sided. I think they sided with Warner Brothers because the names had been changed. Yeah, well, and just like seeing how much. You know, they were uh, how much his wife was paid back in the day was so it was such a small amount. Oh, absolutely. And then, and then after everything had come, like after everything had come to pass, it was basically just that same payment for, uh, you know, a period of time. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the way that the novelization uh, described her. Uh, I, I'm looking at some of the terms here. I don't even know. Like a no good puss bag isn't the worst, but like there's two other things here that are just, just fucking terrible. One of them I'm definitely I'm not gonna say the first one because that's just fucking awful. It's just an awful yeah. thing to call anybody. Uh, so I'm just gonna just gonna well, and then there's wrong. some casual there's some casual racism with the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, th- oh, just just so much. Just and then obviously what happened to them later on, like. Um, the, the, the Sonny character, uh, whose name was John in real life, like after he was released and just like the way that like they, they, I mean, obviously he was an ex con and stuff, but they just, you know, they were on welfare and they didn't make it very long. And yeah, just a, there's, there's an incredibly sad story outside of, I mean, what already is a sad story told in the movie, but I just, I didn't want to brush by it, but like, yeah, there's just so much happening with the, the real life people that this was based on. Yeah, and I mean, you, we should absolutely pay it some lip service. I think what's I think the the great irony of all of it is the 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 one percent or the the forty grand that he end up, he did end up winning. He didn't even get to keep. Yeah, it, it, it went to it went into escrow for the 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 victims the for the the people that he had taken hostage and the, yeah. the, like you said, the rest went to his the the very small amount went to his his wife and kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what a, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it'll come up as we talk about what happened in the movie as well and everything. But, um, so let's, let's get to our cast. Um, and what a cast, man. So we got Al Pacino playing Sonny, John Cazale playing Sal, Charles Durning as, uh, Sergeant Eugene Mor- uh, Moretti, Chris Sarandon as Leon, Penelope, Penelope Allen as Sylvia, or I think he calls her mouth in the movie. Um, we have uh, uh, Sully Boyar as Mulvaney. He is the bank owner. Um, uh, Susan Peretz plays Angie. That is Sonny's wife. Uh, James Broderick is FBI agent Sheldon. Uh, a very young Lance Henriksen as FBI agent Murphy. And then I also, I, I, I don't mean to, you know, but we have the rest of the um, uh, bank employees. We have uh, Carol Kane. Uh, Beulah Garrick, Sandra Kazan, Estelle Omens, Marsha Jean Kurtz, and Amy Levitt. Um, and then you might want to shout out somebody else, but that's that's sort of our our main cast. Anybody else that you want to give uh, give some shout out to? 
No, I just, I loved reading that Marsha Jean Kurtz, because Spike Lee is such a big fan of this movie, she pops up as as a hostage also named Miriam in uh, Inside Man. Yeah. I think I knew that. I'm not sure, but that's... She's, yeah. she's the one that I think they push her too far and she starts crying. She They ask her if she's one of the... If she's one of the the the, the robbers, nice. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Sidney Lumet has three other films in the book, and they are Twelve Angry Men, Serpico, and Network. Now, if you All... remember, Serpico was actually going to be one of our first episodes before we even knew what this podcast was. <laughs> it was. It was. We. I. I was. And I was all ready for it. All ready yeah. for Serpico. It was going to um, be a, a triple feature. I think it was going to be Bullet, French Connection, and, and Serpico. It was. Yep, that was it. There you go. That was there's, absolutely there's some, it. There's some behind-the-scenes history for those of you who are interested Holy and have been shit. following us since the beginning. That was a long time ago. Holy crap, that was a long time ago. Um, and But I wouldn't mind, uh, you, you know, I, and I... And I'd say, you know, those three movies and Dog Day are the four that I, I most easily associate with Sidney Lumet. And I, I might throw in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead because that was the last thing he did and I had seen that before. And, well, and you absolutely should because The Devil Knows You're Dead. Like, how does it, how, what was he, like 83 when he made that movie? Oh, yeah. And to, and to yeah. make a movie still, like, because look at what Eastwood has been doing at that age. He's been, you know, kind of meandering around in the same pool for quite some time. But for Sidney Lumet to make a movie that interesting, that dangerous, and that raw at that age, I mean, that in itself is an achievement. Not to mention that you've got four, like, incredible, like, career best performances from Marissa Tomei, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke, and Albert Finney. Yeah, I mean that. Before the devil knows you're dead is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, um, but I did. I spent a little time this week catching up on two of his movies that I hadn't seen before uh, that I had picked up in different sales for different things and just and just hadn't watched. So I had watched uh, the Fugitive Kind, which is a uh, uh, oh, kind of a. Uh, an old school. It's actually based on a Tennessee Williams play called Orpheus Descending, um, starring Marlon Brando, um, and. Uh, that was a pretty good movie. I liked him in it. I there's I read a lot of the behind the scenes about uh, about Brando's uh, relationship. I think her name was Anne Mangini, who is an Italian actress who plays basically opposite him most of the movie. Who learned her lines phonetically and just like there's a lot of just a lot of behind the scenes shit going on between those two, which I thought was interesting. But then uh, a couple nights ago, I watched Running on Empty, which was a late '80s film. Um, with River Phoenix and Judd Hirsch uh, about this this uh, this couple who blew up uh, like a, a a lab somewhere and have been on the run ever since and like they've been this Judd Hirsch and his wife have been raising their kids on as they've been running from from like the FBI and River Phoenix is like this piano prodigy who wants to basically stop stop living this life and and have his own and it's. It's it, you know for the most of the movie I was like well this is this is okay everybody's doing fine in it but like all of a sudden the ending kind of happened and I was I realized I was kind of tearing up I was like oh shit this movie like all of a sudden just kind of you know give me a nice little gut punch and I had to sit there for a while I was like oh shit you got me you got me there running on empty um, nice and and I you know because I I still have not seen uh, my private Idaho but it's. I really only can associate River Phoenix with Stand By Me. And so it was really nice to see him play somebody totally different. Um, and just a, a neat little a neat little film from Sidney Lumet. 
Nice. I mean, well, I think I've talked about it before on the show, probably in our Stand By Me episode, but what a great loss to cinema, the death of River Phoenix so young. I mean, who knows how many great performances between now and then we could have had out of that guy. I mean, he was just getting traction, I think just finding himself as an actor. It's it's a real bummer. But yeah, I've got I've got quite a few Sidney Lumet blind spots as well. Like I know he did uh, I'm interested in seeing him in in seeing The Seagull. He did a, a version of that. Yeah, the Chekhov play. Yeah. Which is uh, that's a, a that's a lot to, that's a I don't know much about it other than I mean how how intense it is. I mean, it's a it's a it's a lot to to bite off, right? It, yes. The thing about Chekhov plays is that it seems like a lot is happening, but really not a lot is happening. And it's really about these internal conflicts and these relationships. And there, there's just not a lot happening in them. And I've never actually seen a production of a Chekhov play. I've read them and I know them pretty well, but... I have to imagine that there's a fair amount of patience and like you as an audience, you have to bring a lot to it. So I would be curious to see it because it's, it's, it's deep. There's a lot yeah. in it. Yeah. I mean, you just, you look at, you look at his career. I mean, he directed the first adaptation of a John le Carre novel with a, you know, he wasn't the smiley character in it. I think they renamed it, but a movie called the deadly affair with James Mason he directed, I think, Sean Connery's greatest performance with the offense. I think I've mentioned that before on the show. Is the the policeman yep. who who kills a guy in the interrogation? He actually did five movies with Connery. Oh, so I mean, and I've I've got one of them. I still need to watch The Hill, which is a, a little World War II movie set in North Africa. He directed uh, a version of Equus, which again, I mean, that's some pretty heavy material right there. Yeah, that, I don't know if I you've mean, seen that. That it, no, I haven't seen it. I I know the play, and again, like that's, uh, um, I and I think it even it got some. I think some of the performances got some recognition at the Oscars the year it came out. But that is a, uh, if you don't know what Equus is about, we're not going to take the time to talk about it now. But that is, oh, that there's a lot going on in that play. Holy yeah, shit! Definitely. I mean, he did he did that great version of Murder on the Orient Express. Obviously, you mentioned Network as well. Uh, have you ever seen The Wiz? Uh, no, no, but I, I will, I will say that as I was right, you know, going through his IMDB that popped up and I was, uh, you know, part of me is, is not shocked because uh, he did so many stage, you know, uh, adaptations of stage plays that I, him doing a musical isn't necessarily surprising to me. I think in hindsight that probably hasn't aged very well. Uh, you know, they probably would have preferred, you know, a person of color to direct the whiz but you know it, it it is what it is it was what the late 70s when they did that yeah no it's it's definitely the one when you look at all this stuff it's definitely one that stands out i'm also looking at prince of the city which i hear is absolutely fantastic and haven't gotten to watch yet and i desperately tried to find the time to watch the verdict before we started recording and i just i didn't have time for it yesterday but the verdict looks incredible with, that, with Paul heard, Newman. That, that's Paul Newman. Yeah, I heard there's a yeah. hell of a Paul Newman performance in that. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I, I'm going to do that, try and do that one this weekend anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so let's move on to accolades. Um, I get, and we've, we've, when, we, when we talked about Nashville, we've talked about uh, what a year, but well, let me get through this first a little bit. So at the Academy Awards that year, um, this won Best Original Screenplay. Uh, it lost Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor, all of those to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, Chris Sarandon lost Best Supporting Actor that year to George Burns for The Sunshine Boys, and it lost Best 
editing to Jaws. But let's just again, let's just. Well, I want to I want to stop oh, you right there because I know it. you're not the biggest Jaws fan in the world. How do you feel about that loss? It's you know it's tough because I actually think that the editing in both of those movies in in, in uh, Dog Day Afternoon and Jaws is actually is really good. Um, I part of me just wonders if it's it's the the way in which they kind of edit around the shark, like that it's not that it's about a big shark and yet we see very little of it and the way that it is edited to make us make us afraid of something that we barely see. I, I want, I, I mean, I, it's hard to ever know, especially with technical awards. It's hard to know what exactly they're rewarding, but that would, that would be my guess. Yeah. That's, that's a tough break for me because especially when you get into the final, like 20 minutes of dog day afternoon, the editing just gets really, really good. Yeah. Like it, it's one of my favorite things about the movie is the way the, the, the speed of the cutting in the frenetic moments, especially at, at the end. So yeah, that's that's a tough break for me when I see that. But just again, I just just to even pay a, a little bit of homage to the films that were the best picture nominees that year. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, Nashville, Barry Lyndon. I mean, that's that's an amazing line. It may never ever get that good again, man. I mean, and it and I, I yeah, it's just yeah, it's just pretty fucking amazing. Just pretty, pretty, just a great list uh, of movies there. <laughs> I'm I'm bummed I missed it. What a time to have been alive. I know, I know. Uh, at the Golden Globes that year, it was up for Best Picture, Best Actor, uh, two supporting actor nominations, but for Durning and Kazal, uh, a Best Debut Actor nomination for Sarandon and Screenplay and Director noms uh, at the BAFTAs. Now, now because of the year thing, Pacino did one did win best actor but i think it was all was this a can uh was it for both dog day and godfather 2 i think it was specifically godfather 2 okay okay great um and it did but it did win editing there at the baftas uh it lost best film director screenplay and soundtrack it picked up a dga nom and it won the wga for best original screenplay uh the national board of review uh put it on their top 10 films of the year and gave best supporting actor to charles durning a lot of great supporting actor performances that they were uh recognizing all over the place hey ian was this film inducted into the national film registry it certainly was in the year 2009, along with such classics as we talked a bit about William Wyler a couple weeks ago. Two of his movies were inducted in 2009, Miss Minivere and Jezebel. You've also got the Muppet movie in there that year. <laughs> uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, one of the oh, greatest Westerns of all time. So good. This is the one that stopped me in my tracks, though. In 2009, they inducted the Michael Jackson music video Thriller. Which, knowing who we who he is now, hasn't aged well. But also the fact that it's a fucking music video. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, like I get I, there's like the full thirteen minute yeah. short film version, but it's still a music. You kind of, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one. Even if it wasn't Michael Jackson, I don't know how I'd feel about that one. Yeah, yeah, for for sure, for sure. Um, that's weird. That's a weird thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, there were two things I was surprised to find out uh, doing the research here uh, that it I, I assumed it was on the AFI Top 100. It is not. and Which I is horseshit. 
I assumed it would be on the IMDb Top 250, which it is not. Which is also horseshit. <laughs> Uh, it does. It does have a ninety-six percent critical and a ninety percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, did you pull any critical things? Uh, I did not because they were all overwhelmingly positive, and I didn't want to be boring because this is going to be a gush fest as it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I kind of skipped that too. But this is the part of the show where I ask Adam, "Do you love list?" I I love lists, and and I've I've missed lists. I've missed it. No. Uh, yeah. Well, I love list. I love Lamp. Well, I've got I've got a list that I want to talk a little bit shit about, and then I'll do my actual list. Uh, I found Vulture's top twenty five heist films of all time, and I won't run down the whole thing now. But there is a it, this list had to have been end of twenty seventeen or early twenty eighteen because there is some massive recency bias. And in this top twenty five, they have Baby Driver, The Town, Fast Five, and Logan Lucky. I, yeah, I didn't know what to say to that either. I, I mean, here's the thing: is like I, I'm sure. I'm not. I'm not sure. I know that there were a shitload of heist films from like the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. I just I haven't seen. Right now, part of me wants to know: like, did like did the killing make that list? Uh, the killing was actually the the Kubrick killing. Yes. Yeah. That's actually, this is where I, I pull back from talking shit about this list, because even though it has a massive recency bias, they did recognize The Killing as the best heist film on their on that list, which okay. is which is great. I loved, so, I loved seeing that. I mean, because, like, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, all of those movies that you said, in one way or another, I find entertaining. Like, I like, I like Logan Lucky. I like Fast Five. I like The Town and whatever the, oh, Baby Driver. Yeah, I, I do. Baby Driver. I, I enjoy those movies. Um I, there probably is somewhere in there, like uh, uh, just a not good, like a, a, a blatant, like, well, you totally missed, you know, fill in the blank movie, and yeah, yeah, it. I mean, having Fast Five on there is just fucking wild, like whatever. <laughs> just okay, just lean into it. At least it's at the bot. It's like number twenty-two, so it's like at the bottom end, whatever. Uh, but like, I'm sorry, man. Logan Lucky and Baby Driver, like all the hype around those two movies i just didn't get it neither those movies didn't do anything for me either of them i mean i think i think i like logan lucky just for its kind of simplicity and, and the performances baby driver and, and again this is the like, it's it's just it's that edgar wright style like i do i think that baby driver should be on that list probably not but again i do think there's just a when you're watching an edgar wright movie there's just a a sensibility like you know that the the way that the music is going to move you through the the movie, it's just it, there's such a sense of like it. We, he does a lot of letting the music help with the storytelling, and there's in a very real way, you don't have to overthink any Edgar Wright movie, and that is not denigrating those films at all. But his, I think, his passion for music that he gets into the film does a lot of the work that we might normally have to do. I, and I definitely think that that was my problem with Baby Driver. I think there's there's it's too easy. Sure. The, the, the music the music does it all for you yeah. yeah there's nothing of yourself that you have to invest in it um a couple other weird things on this list as well you've got uh a shout out for a fish called wanda because that movie is fucking great <laughs> nice and sex and sexy beast you know how much i love that film mm -hmm. uh ronin's on there as it nice. should be ronin's great it is number 20 it's a little far down yeah uh, you've got heat and dog day back to back at 13 and 14 oh uh, whoa whoa yeah whoa. right yeah, 
right? Because you've got shit like Inception. They've got two Elmore Leonard adaptations above both of those. You've got Out of Sight and Jackie Brown back to back at six and seven. I do really like Out of Sight. I've still not seen it. Oh, really? I, I need to. I, I hear it's really good. I, 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 I like it. I like it. Uh, but anyway, the, the actual list that I want to do the, the rundown in is the BFI's top 10 greatest heist films of all time. And it does do a little bit of overlapping with the Vulture one, which is why I don't need to give you the sure. full rundown of Vulture. But uh, number 10, we've got Inception. Hey, I, I, I love Inception. I love Inception too, but I, it, yeah, I guess it, 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 well, yeah, there's no debating. Yeah, it is a heist film, but yeah. I don't think that that's, that's not the priority. Like the heist, the heist aspect of that film is not the most important aspect of that film. Yeah, it, it's tough because it's like, it, well, I, 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 I agree and I disagree, but it, it, it's such a unique way of approaching it. I, obviously, they're yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not going to argue that it, it shouldn't be on a list of great heist films because that would just be ridiculous. But uh, number nine is the remake of Ocean's Eleven, the 2001 version. I. I, I a very enjoyable movie. Yeah, yeah. I actually I rewatched it earlier this year, and I I had as much of a blast watching it now, twenty years after the fact, as I did the first time I saw it. Yep. Uh, number eight, rightfully so. I just mentioned it, Sexy Beast. Okay. Okay. I, there you go. Sexy Beast is just that is like that is a movie that just gets me. <laughs> ben Kingsley, what a performance. Oh, I, no, I remember seeing. No, no. I remember it was me and a mate of mine and his dad. They showed it to me. I think they'd watched it a couple of days before, and they're like, "Ian, you have to see this." So they sat me down. And they watched it again with me. <laughs> I remember the joke. Just sitting there in the room, we were just like, "Well, I guess Ben Kingsley isn't ever gonna do Gandhi two after this." There's no way they're letting him near that. Number seven on this list, you'll like Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Which is great, because we don't even see the heist. Yeah. I love it. Uh, number six is Thief, the Michael Mann film, Jimmy yep. Kahn. You've, you've seen that one, right? Yeah. Yes, I have. Just just very recently. Did you pick up that great Arrow edition of it? Yeah. No, I have the Criterion. Oh, okay. All right. You should have gotten the Arrow one, but that's okay. What yeah. are you, you going to do? What, what are you going to do? Uh, uh, you know, uh, go fuck yourself. Right. Uh, number five, and the reason we're here, Dog Day Afternoon. Boom. Uh, number four is a Melville film, Le Circle Rouge. Ah, Le Circle Rouge. Yes, yes. What I have not seen. But you do have the you have a Melville box set, right? I you do. Need to crack into. I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I've slightly cracked into it, but I yeah. need to do some yeah, more I, cracking. I yeah, I need to see that. I, Melville was great, man. Uh, number three is a Godard film, Band of Parts. Oh, yeah. No, got nothing. Yeah. Got nothing. Nothing on that one? Yeah, me either. Number two, Rafifi. All right, yeah. Yeah, great movie. It is. I've, I've talked about that a lot on the show and how it needs to be in the book. <laughs> yes. Uh, number one is the John Huston film, The Asphalt Jungle. Okay, so I, I haven't seen it, but we've, we've... Oh, wow, that's tough. Like, the killing and heat miss out on that list. That's, that's hard. That's, yeah, that is harsh. That's... I will say I think I think the wrong Michael Mann film is on that list. I gotta say. Ooh, I don't know, man. Thief is really fucking like you know how much I love Heat, but Thief is really fucking good. Yeah, but Heat's better. <laughs> yeah, Heat is better. 
Okay, fair but, enough. But, you would. But, but that is certainly an interesting list. And I, I think the, the few of those that we haven't seen, I pretty, I'm fairly confident are in the book. So at some time, we will be tackling those films. Yeah, I, I don't know if Band Apart is, but Le Circle Rouge certainly and is. And I think and Asphalt, uh, Asphalt Jungle is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, John Houston's got like 25 fucking movies in the book. <laughs> hey, nobody has more than Hitchcock. I know that. That that is right. I don't think it's twenty five. I think it may, maybe it's twenty. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So let's let's get to let's get to talking about Dog Day Afternoon. Um, and again, plot wise, it's it's not the most complicated thing. Um, you know, we've got uh, these well three guys, but let's be real. These two guys, Sonny and Sal, who go into a bank uh, and they stick it up. They they want to get cash, uh, and it turns out that the money had already been picked up, and there's very very little money in there for them to take. And at some point, um, an alarm has been tripped, or somebody has uh, gotten to the cops because uh, there is a whole mess of police outside. And the movie revolves around what Sonny and Sal do inside the bank with these hostages and how they are going to uh, get themselves out of it. Now. Uh, in the process of all of this, we find out that um, Sonny is doing this uh, to get money so that he can get uh, Chris Sarandon's character a sex change operation, which we will, of course, have to talk about uh, that whole side of the story. Um, But uh, Sonny also has a wife and kids and uh, a family that is very much aware of what's going on because this is making the news. Um, And, uh, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that is... what 36 years old um no 46 yeah 40 46 years old um uh you know, uh, they they believe that they're gonna get they're gonna they're gonna get out they're gonna get safe they're gonna get a plane to uh oh where where is it that they're going um Algeria Algeria yeah <laughs> um but not Wyoming not Wyoming no yes uh but ultimately things turn tragic and uh Sal is shot in the car and Sonny is arrested uh and and that's that's that that's the very 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 basic plot outline of this movie um so uh i, I you know maybe a place that i want to start is uh and, and we just kind of talk about lament and what he had done before and and after this and i do i think lament works best when he's directing something that feels like a play right and like i'm i find serpico to be just fine it's not one of my favorites i don't think it's like my favorite pacino it's not my favorite lamette but like when you it's look a, at it's a little long and meandering yeah but when you look at like 12 angry men and something like like this and and before the devil knows you're dead is 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 different and it proves what i'm about to say wrong but these movies where there are really long scenes or very or very limited on locations, Lament works really, really well in those settings. And I think it's why I respond so much to 12 Angry Men and, and Dog Day Afternoon. And this, I couldn't help but think, like, I, in my mind going, man, you could, you could so easily, easily stage this. And I'm not saying you should, because I'm sure it would be, you know, after the movie is the movie and any stage adaptation would just, would just be like, what is this? What are you doing? But like the theatrical nature of it and how much it enhances the storytelling and how much this could have turned into a really like a lot of cross cutting and a lot of just like, I don't know, this could have been much bigger than it was. And it's not, it's simple. And I so appreciate 
them shooting on location and letting the extras kind of evolve and become more of a, a big a bigger part of the storytelling I don't know what do you how do you feel about all that the the theatricality and the shooting on location I, I think that's the only way to do it I think they they did it 100% the way it should have been done we are locked in this bank with these people we have almost no reprieve from it except for when we get to go across the street to the barber shop that the cops are holed up in and I think it's a real the way he starts the movie that's the thing that I I've come to really appreciate and love about this movie is actually the opening montage starting showing us the movie is called Dog Day Afternoon. It's a hot, shitty, sweltering day and you've got no escape from it in the same way that these people are going to have no escape and us, the audience, are going to have no escape from this bank and we get to see the city at large and the hustle and bustle and people just trying to get by and it's never not going to be haunting seeing the the Twin Towers on film. That's just the way it is. A uh, little bit of Elton John on the soundtrack there, and that's the last time we'll really hear any kind of music in the movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah man, It's it was 100% the right way to do it, and I love knowing how much time they spent rehearsing and allowing a lot of the dialogue to occur, to occur naturally. There is such a, a naturalism and a rhythm to the entire thing, and it's a film almost of two halves. I think there is a I think there is a shift in tone as soon as Leon shows up there is a shift in tone and the film does slow down but not to a detriment at all I think it's it's important because we're so far into this thing and we're starting to feel the pace of the film we're starting to feel the pace of the day what it must feel like to be trapped in that bank or to be one of the cops across the street in a barbershop just how long and how endless this thing feels it's going to be but again that's the pace the the slowing down of the film that's it's that's a good thing. I think we're meant to feel the pace of this thing. Well, and you you mention you mentioned when Leon arrives and how that is. There's a big shift there. Uh, what I want to there's something else about that that I want to mention, which is that, and I know I've mentioned this before on on this podcast and on and on Below Freezing that I I hate when movies uh, start in the future for no reason, right? And then it's like you know six days previous, and then we're we're there, right? And this movie doesn't do that, but. There's also a thing that movies do sometimes where it's intentionally misleads you uh, when it doesn't need to. And the revelation of Leon uh, is not that. Because we've, we've seen, we've seen uh, Sonny's wife. We, we've met her previous. And, and we assume that when, when Sonny says to, to uh, Charles Durning's character, I, w- I want you to bring my wife down here, that that's who he's talking about. And so when it's Leon... Like again, filmically, from a storytelling standpoint, that's that's such a like the the rug being pulled out from under your legs kind of moment. Like, wait, what? And it catches you off so guard that the tonal shift is almost kind of nice because you you're trying to play catch up. You're really trying to go, wait, what is happening? Because I thought we 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 met his wife, and now who is who is this person? And it's a yeah, it's a huge shift. And I I I really again from the storytelling standpoint appreciate how it how it all comes about. Absolutely. And what a, what a performance from Chris Sarandon. I think he hundred percent nails that role as Leon. There's nothing about it, which is, which feels forced or he's not playing really to st- any kind of stereotypes. I mean, he's playing the role very naturalistic. It's, it's, uh, I think it, I think it's a tribute to, to people undergoing, you know, a transitional phase and the the sort of confusion and the way that the world around 
you it sort of views you you know and i obviously i can't i can't really imagine what that's like but there's nothing in the in his performance or in the way that it's handled that rings false to me or nothing that that like points and laughs at it yeah obviously there are cops that laugh at them oh yes yeah but i there's nothing exploitative in the way that it's shot or the way that he performs that role at all no and 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 i i'm kind of i think this is I think this is I'm glad we're talking about it now because it I I forgot I mean I didn't forget about Chris Sarandon's character but I think I forgot how much the the LGBTQ plus uh side of this it really continues out from that point on um and you're absolutely right that there are cops who snicker in the background when Leon is telling telling a story and but the reason that that is important is not just to show that cops were like that then, but that, and I, I don't want to say cops, but that people are still like that now. And that right. it doesn't matter that this was made in 1975. You're still going to have douchebags laughing at this story. Um, but there was a note that, and I, I wonder, I, I wonder what Sarandon was doing in rehearsals because I saw this, uh, this Lamette quote what he'd given to Sarandon. He said, a little less Blanche Dubois and a little more Queen's housewife. And I think... I, and I read that after the fact, but like thinking on that note, I see I see the Queens. I see that section of New York in Chris Sarandon, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't see the Blanche. I, I see bits of the Blanche Dubois with like the hand on the chest kind of thing. But like, I don't know. And maybe it's just because I have such like that. That's such a theatrical thing. I can see Blanche Dubois in my mind. And, and it's not. It's not Leon. It's not what I see, which is great. Yeah, I mean, he must have been he must have been really swinging for it to get a note like that. Well, but it's also that's such a great note to get, right? That's a that is an actor's director not telling you like that that, that it's wrong or it's too much, right? You give examples and then you you it, the best the best direction I think is where you're not telling an actor specifically what to do. That idea of like a little less this, a little more that. It, it, there's it's spec it's specific but there's also freedom within that note to move and and it seems it's i don't know I, that's the kind of note that i want to get from directors when i'm in something like that's a great note to be given yeah well and seeing as though we've just jumped into the last third of the movie i guess we can work our way back <laughs> but seeing as though we're, we're here and we're talking about leon and and chris sarandon that's every time i see it man and i've seen this movie 12, 15, 16 times, I don't even know how many at this point, but that phone call, that goddamn phone call, and the, the, the fact that he, that Pacino has to do them back-to-back -back with Leon and then with Angie, it, every time it floors me, I, the way that it's shot to where we're not, whenever we're on Pacino, we're, you know, it's that tight close-up, we're not allowed to leave his eye line, and then when we cut across to the barbershop, the way it starts with Leon just kind of we don't even really see him unless you're looking for him there's a there's a cop in the center of the frame listening in on the phone call and then Leon is tucked away in the background on like the far right of frame and as the conversation i mean you're so enraptured in what they're saying and this sort of pleading with Sonny and with Sonny trying to talk Leon down off this this metaphorical roof that he's on uh you, you barely notice that as the conversation goes along that the camera, whenever it's been in the barbershop, has been moving. It's been panning around to the left and bringing Leon fully into frame by the end of it. It's one of the 
one of the best, one of the absolute best phone conversations in a film ever. Yeah. Well, and, and, not, and not just because of the intensity of what they're saying, but the, the way that it's shot is stunning. Well, and it's, it's, and this movie is by no means a comedy, but the, though I found myself kind of having that awkward laughter a lot throughout the movie, even in, in the moments of the phone call where, you know, um, Pacino or Sonny tells Leon that we're going to Algeria and just the Leon's response is like, why would you pick Algeria? And like ending, I I think it's like, thanks a lot. Bon voyage. It's like, I, I, I laughed, but more out of like shock, I guess. Like, this is how like the, just the, the huge, the drama of the situation of, of Sonny robbing a bank in order to help pay for the sex change. And now it's like, and now it's Bon Voyage. And just like, we've gone, well, we've, you know, but Sonny and, and Sal have gone through all of this shit for Bon Voyage. Like, it's just like, there's something so ironic and like piercing with that, with that line. Yeah, no, it's, it seems so just off the cuff and innocent, but yeah, man, the piercing is absolutely the right word. There's a, there's this weird bittersweetness to it all. Oh man, and then it's, 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 it's really gut wrenching. I mean, it really pulls me apart every time I see it. Oh god! And then when he's when he's talking to Angie immediately afterwards, like his look, his looks during like he can't even believe that this this conversation is happening. Like that she's she's just railroaded the conversation. And oh like, man! My last note for that chunk was I fucking hang up too. Yeah, I mean, what what are you gonna do? You can't get a word in edgeways. He's like a man. Absolutely, I'm, I'm not at all saying he was in the right, but a man no. completely at the end of his rope. Yeah. And yeah. did Pacino ever get better than this? Was was the question that I had at the end of this movie? The question I wanted to pose to you. Okay. The, he, is okay. this peak Pacino? Is I, I this th- like the mountaintop? I think I I so I think that. I think that we gotta. I gotta bring in Godfather Two. I do think that Godfather Two, Dog Day, these two things back to back. Yes, this was the best we've we've that Pacino ever was. Um, it's and, a hell of a one-two punch, man. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there and don't get me wrong, there are still some things from this era that I haven't seen. Um, but yeah, man, it's just and and I again doing the research like. Uh, the the four years of of being nominated for an Oscar seventy two seventy three seventy four seventy five like, I mean, he he was like you know I think he was pretty pretty much taking over Brando's sort of naturalistic you know leading man mantle uh, in in this time frame. Um, in, yeah. in a time, and as I said, you know, talking about the best picture noms, what a time to be alive. I mean, when you think about the guys who were the number one guys at the time, you've got him, De Niro. Well, I think De Niro hadn't quite made it yet because Taxi Driver hadn't come out at that point yet. But yeah. De Niro was certainly in the ascendancy. You've got Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, Jack and Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, yeah. all like performing at the absolute top of their game. I mean, I keep saying it. I'm mean, beat this horse to death. The seventies were absolutely the best time to be alive for film. Well, and and it's, it, I I don't know. I don't want to go on a huge tangent here, but it's like, I, I was talking with with my class the other day about about performers and 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 
you know, who are our, our best leading performers today? And, you know, I, I, we, we listed a lot of people who are in their 50s and 60s, but like where, where is our next batch of up and coming uh, actors? Like, I mean, and, and I've, I, I know I've railed on some of these people specifically before, and so I'll, maybe I'll just keep it to like two, but like if our, if our response to this is it, it's Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges, we're fucked. This is not the batch of, uh, I, and they're just, they're fine, but they don't, they don't have it. I don't know what it is, but that's the point. Like you can, you can't always define what it is, but you can point to it and see it when it happens. And I just don't think that it's, I don't think it's those two. I, 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 I there's yeah. just a grittiness and a rawness to these, to those performers that I just, it's gone. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about it next week on our Oscars episode. But the the race for best actress this year, it's a better time better time to be a female performer than than a male one, I think, as far as representation goes in the community. Sure. Yeah. Like the 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 the, the crop of, of of female actors versus the male ones is, I mean, it's the the gap is huge. Yes, that that will that will be a fun conversation for next week. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you, man. Like I know we've said it a hundred times before, but yeah, the, if the best we've got is Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> the fuck well, are we doing here? Let's move. So how about this? Let's move away from Timothy Chalamet and let's let's go to the man who's batting a thousand. Do you want to talk a little bit about John Cazale? Oh man, John Cazale. What again? Like River Phoenix? What a shame. Who knows what we could have gotten out of this guy. I think that and you've is... got you've got Godfather one and two, the conversation, Deer Hunter, and this. Yeah, I, I, the legacy speaks for itself. And the the history, like his stage work, and and you know, like how good of an actor he was, not just in the few movies that we got of him. Um, like, I think this is almost more, and I, I don't know how to talk about this because we we've, we've lost a lot of talented actors. Of Always. I mean, life goes on and people die and it's it's sad and it, it's awful. And especially if they weren't late into their years, it's like, well, yeah, of course we wondered that. But we got so few films from him and he was such a unique actor that I just I yeah, I, I, I really do. I wonder, you know, I try to think about, well, what came out like in the 80s that like. What could he have been in? What could he have done? And and it's just it is it's it's a damn it's a damn shame. Um, and this probably, you know, I know he he I think he picked up one of the Globe nominations, but I'm I'm a little surprised he he got very little. I mean I, I I'll just he's my unsung hero of the movie. Um, uh, well I think rightfully and, so. And I get that like, I think I think over over that over the last few years especially with that i i knew it was you documentary that hbo did like i think john cazal has has become more of a name after the fact but even even so i think people turn to pacino or durning or sarandon even before really talking about about john cazal and a lot of the things that he does in this movie are so subtle that i get it but like i I, I don't I wonder I, I I wonder whose choice it was to not have him ever undo his tie or take off his jacket. That is good. That is a that is a great detail that you notice. That is in fucking credible. And I just and and at each time we cut away from him, I I I had this thought I'm like, okay, is it still gonna be on? 
is it still going to be on? And then it was, and it was like, that's, that's fucking amazing. That like in the, in the midst of all of this, he's still got this, I don't know, like, and I, and I just, this idea of masking, like, cause he's, I don't know if it's scared. And the one, like, maybe it's just an unanswerable question, but it's like, I, I did want to know more about Sonny and Sal's relationship because Sal was like, Sal was not going to leave Sonny. Like Sal was there. And that kind of loyalty was just so obvious on screen. And, oh man, just amazing. Just amazing. Well, even more so than the, the wardrobe choice, whenever we cut away from Sal, there's a, there's almost a sense of dread because as you mentioned with his loyalty, he says to, he says to Sonny, he says, Hey man, what you said about throwing out those bodies, like I'm, I'm ready. I'll do it. And then the other thing he says is like, you made me a promise, man. And I'm not going back to prison. We either get away clean or we kill ourselves. So anytime he's not on screen, there's a sense of what the fuck is Sal doing? Like, where is he in the space? Like, what is he up to? Because he's, I mean, as much as a live wire, Pacino gets to go big. Like, he gets to have all the big, intense moments. Obviously, there's Attica out there on the street. There's all the stuff that he gets to do on the phone. There's all the stuff at the beginning where he's giving the rundown about how he used to work in a bank and he knows all the tips and the tricks. You know, don't take the last hundred out, otherwise it'll trip the alarm. All that shit. That's all fantastic. But Kazale gets to have the same level of intensity without having to go big. Yeah. Which is almost which is almost the more impressive feat. We I there's this uh uh God, I might have even said this on the show before, so you know, pardon me, but I there's this thing that I, I tell my students a lot, which is when you feel 10, show seven. Now, Pacino gets to feel 10 and show like 12, right? He gets to, he gets to go big. But like, yeah, John Cazale feels 10 and shows like two. Yeah. Like, and, and, like, and when, he's, when he gets Pacino aside, it, he gets to show a little bit more. But like, it's just so like reserved and restrained. And like, I just imagine how... I mean, it's it's exha- it's an exhausting experience for everybody, you know, for the hostages and for the police and for the two of them. But like, I just think about how exhausting it must be for Kazale, who's who really is not cracking. That veneer is not cracking. And and so I I I want to bring this up now because I, I I thought about this, where obviously this is a kind of movie where, you know, the the story since we're since we're with. Sonny and Sal, we, we, part of us wants them to get away, right? We want them to live because that, that's whose story we're following through the movie. And I, and, cause I, and I'll, I think this is only the third time I've seen this movie. This is not a, a, a frequent rewatch of mine. But the, the line that you mentioned before about either we, either we get away clean or we kill ourselves. And the fact that he gets shot in the head at the end of the movie was I think probably the single most heartbreaking moment of the movie for me because there's this guy who didn't want to go back to jail, right? And and that and that's something he didn't want. But that he he was so set that either we're gonna get away or we can kill ourselves. And then he can't even he can't even end his life on his own terms. You know what I mean? Like he's he's surprisingly shot in the head. And that like that blew me away this time because that line had stuck with me through the rest of the movie. That 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 was though those were the two choices he had. And it's just this idea of like if you to go through life 
go through any moment, whether it's like it's something that's going to last an hour or like that's going to last the next five years. That if you believe that you have one of two choices and then all of a sudden, boom, you don't even get to make that choice. Another choice has been made for you and now like it's that those, they're gone. I just I felt so much pain for, for Sal in that moment. Well, and the the abruptness of it—it it comes yeah. out of nowhere. Like I think I feel like, as an educated audience member, you know something. It's not going to go the way they want it to. Yeah. Because the Lance Henriksen characters keeps telling him, "Hey, man, you got to point the gun up," and obviously that's a ruse of some kind. But no, you're absolutely right. The the hitting on the fact that it's it is heartbreaking. It's hard to argue. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff, obviously, with his wife and with Leon, and that is. Just as heartbreaking, if not more so, but the the way you frame it is him not being able to make, not even be able to go out on his terms is to not make that decision. Yeah, that's that's hard to argue that that's not the most heartbreaking thing in the movie, especially if you're if you're in it all the way with Sal, which I think is it's kind of hard not to be. I mean, the 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 guy the the actual Sal was some eighteen year old kid. and obviously Kazali is the late thirties, early forties at this point, but he still he plays him. I think I think in his mind he knew that because I think he does play him as a younger man. He plays him as somebody with the the a naivete without um, somebody who's missing the sort of larger experience, the worldview. Even though he does mention that he's gone to prison, Pacino mentions that he was in Vietnam. We don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but he has yeah. he has experience, but he doesn't carry himself quite in that way. When he, especially, we already mentioned the Wyoming thing. He's like, yeah. you know, any country you want to go to, well, I want to go to Wyoming. Well, that's that's not a country. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I, I, what's what's so what's so heartbreaking to me about Kazal in general, or is it Kazal Kazali? I've heard it both ways. I thought it was Kazal, but I, I don't know. Yeah, e- either way, uh, I don't think we never, unless you saw him on stage back in the 60s i mean we as 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 filmgoers never got to see what he could do as a leading man i mean he's part of an ensemble in the godfather movies he's a he's there's large sections of deer hunter where he's not in the movie because i mean it's just not his story there's yeah. uh, in the conversation i mean he's like third or fourth banana in that film and then i mean i think this is the closest he ever got to a leading role and yeah. it's a shame that we never got to see him in in the hot seat. Well, yeah, and he plays such a he the, the vulnerability that he plays. You know, I mean, it, it's so. And again, I mean, we think about um, you know Godfather Two and Dog Day for Pacino, but Godfather Two and Dog Day for Cazal. I'm mean, granted he's got the conversation in there as well, but like, you know, F- Fredo and Godfather Two. I mean. I mean, it is the relationship between him and Michael, but like, just it just he rips you. He just rips your fucking heart out. I mean, the way that he just sinks into that seat in the boathouse is just amazing. It's amazing, and that's the other thing too about about Pacino and Cazal and and all of these other actors who who came out of of doing stage work is this this using the props and using the set and using your costume pieces to help dictate character. Um, that it isn't just about character creation. It's not. It's not what's become so I think fashionable lately, which is to either lose weight or bulk up or you know, do any of these other things to get into a role. It's this like, what am I wearing? Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hey, you know, I've I've been thinking, like, I I don't know. Like, I want again. I just I'm going back to him not taking off the coat and tie, and it's like, 
you know, oh, everybody talks about how hot it is, but like, I guarantee, I, I just, I have to believe that Kazal went to lament. It's like, hey, I'm not gonna take it off. I don't care how hot it, it, it's supposed to be. Like, I'm just, my character wouldn't do it. And letting those kind of external choices help, but it's not just internal. It's not just us making up these things or, you know, these crazy physical transformations that it's like getting a prop and getting a costume and being like, oh yeah, boom, there we go. And I just, I love the way that they incorporate all of that into this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, uh, I think we have to assume that in, in his mind for Sal, the, the coat and the tie, that's, that's his safety net. That's his safety blanket. Like if he takes this off, he's exposed too much of himself because he doesn't really expose anything of himself to anybody but Pacino. He has that one scene with Penelope Allen where he chastises her for smoking, which is an unfortunate irony in real life because I believe it was lung cancer that that killed him. But uh, that whole talking about the the juxtaposition and the... the, um, the contradiction in his character of being a bank robber yet believing that his body his body is for the lord that's a holy temple i'm not going to put anything in that that would would jeopardize that i'm not going to smoke or drink you know he's a guy that does have a code yeah but he's also fine with throwing dead bodies out if it comes to it, it it's it's the best character in the movie it is 100% the unsighted who else would you go with i mean for me maybe i was thinking about penelope allen because I, I fall in love with her time and again every time I see this movie. But yeah, the John Cazale is the obvious choice, but it's also the right choice. Yeah, yeah. What, did I read something about like Pacino knew Penelope Allen and was like was living with her for a while when he was a yeah, young actor? Yeah, and well, it's so many of these people, it seems like Pacino had quite a lot of say in the casting. Like he'd worked with Durning, he'd worked with Broderick, uh, obviously worked with Cazale. Like a lot of these people were all like his theater buddies. Well, and again, I just, I, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I know that I can, I can, you know, if you do the research, you can see people like uh, Bobby Cannavale and Michael Shannon all have big theater backgrounds. And I think you can see their work and go, oh yeah, yeah. They, you know, their performances are nuanced and, and there's, there's something more. They're not just playing to camera. There's a lot of other extra stuff in, in there. Um, it's this again. I I'm just gonna rag on it again. It's like it's this generation of actors coming up now who have only started on screen, and that's what they know. And there's this. I don't know. Like we always like what I tell my students is that it's it's it, go too big because we can bring we can dial big down. But if you're always small, it's it's hard to get a, a, an actor who who plays plays kind of small a lot to make bigger and bigger choices. And there's just watching these watching these stage actors work the camera and 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 make it and know know where they are and know the scene and know the circumstances and know the, oh when i'm outside talking to the to the police you know as pacino like i can be big and boisterous and play it up but when i'm inside talking to the hostages it's what's another thing and then when i'm talking to gazelle it's a totally different thing and they just know the circumstances so well and they know how to dial it up and dial it down yeah well i think i think the theater aspect is the thing that's missing I mean, you, you talked about Michael Shannon, like he is, I mean, he's not of, I guess, this younger generation, but he is, he's pretty much the best thing going right now. Yeah. I, because I, mean, I, because, because of that theater background, I think, yeah, that's absolutely what's missing from guys like Timothy Chalamet or Shia LaBeouf or Lucas Hedges. It's this whole mumble core thing. I don't know. These guys that just, you know, 
blah, 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 through their fucking well, dialogue. And it's and it's them. I I also feel like it's maybe and maybe it's them misunderstanding part of of history of the history of acting. Like it's them doing their Brando and like yeah, Brando had a way of delivering that was very realistic coming out of a very you know, a realistic way of interpreting Stanislavski and how that transferred to the American method and stuff. And, but like, as much as Brando in the years to come would become an egomaniac, at the time he was studying, you know, he was with the actors group and he was doing this. And like, he did Broadway, he did theater, and he brought that sensibility to film. And that in the 50s, like in the, in the Streetcar Named Desire on the waterfront phase, like, that kind of acting was new and revolutionary, but but like by just recreating it like seventy years later doesn't like if you don't if you don't know whose shoulders you're standing on and how they got there, it's just imitation at best. Yeah, and it's a it's a pale shadow of of someone else's former glory, man. And so and then so to see these immediate disciples of that group who have you know what 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 are they what's that phrase of. Uh, like uh, not paid their dues, but like uh, their bones or like they've made their bones. They, they've made their bones. Yeah. yeah. Pacino, Cazal, De Niro, all of them. Absolutely. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, and we talk about just, yeah, the actors of the seventies, the films of the seventies and, and, you know, film's not new at this point, but, but the stage, you know, theater hasn't become what it is today, which is basically like, if you're not a commercial enterprise or IP, you know, you're not going to make it in New York kind of thing, you know? So Anyways, <laughs> this is yeah. this has been Adam's theater corner on a thousand and one by one, and and made- that's it's all good, man. Because <laughs> otherwise, I was just gonna sit here and gush. I mean, uh, I, while we're talking about seventies performers, though, I mean, Pacino was notorious for yeah, I'll do this. No, I won't. Yeah, I'll do it. No, I won't. I think he backed out of Dog Day Afternoon about three times before they finally got him to commit. When they said to him, "Look, fine, if you're not gonna do it." I mean, this role was written for a a U-type or a Dustin Hoffman type, so I think they threatened him with, okay, if you're really going to fuck us about, it's going to be Dustin Hoffman, to which he went, whoa, 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 hang on, I'll do it. I mean, I think his his original excuse was he was exhausted from working on Godfather 2, didn't want to do something this intense again, didn't feel like he could play gay, believably. How, How do you think we'd be talking about this movie now if it was Dustin Hoffman instead of Pacino? Is this still in the pantheon of great, not just great 70s movies, but just great movies in general, if it's Hoffman instead of Pacino. I do. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, you think he would have brought the same energy and intensity? I mean, they were both method as shit at the yeah. time. No, the, and that's what I and that's what I mean. And they and you know, they 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 have very similar lurks. You know, they're both they're both short men with 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 dark at that point longer dark black hair and 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 you mentioned just how how uber method they were. I do. I think, and and it's not. It's obviously they still have different qualities about them. But I think, and I mean, I don't better. Who knows? But like, there's um, I think Hoffman does know how to play that neurotic character. Um, that I think I think he would have been totally great in it. I do. I think I think we would still be talking about this movie today. That, well, that's fair. I mean, I I still think I would still lean. I would prefer to see Pacino in it over Hoffman because I think I want a little more Michael Corleone and less Kramer versus Kramer. Sure. You know, there's a there's a physicality that Pacino brings to this. Like you said, the way he stalks 
in this movie. Like it, even there's the, something that that jumped out at me that I guess I hadn't really registered before in this in this viewing was when the 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 limo the uh, the limousine bus finally pulls up. Yeah, and the way that he stalks over to it, like his his sort of the, the how tired he is, how exhausted he's he's at at this whole this this end of the rope that he's at, and yet he still has this this prowess this i'm not gonna let them get one up on me kind of thing even in the just the way that he walks up to that bus there's a there's a fuck you in it like i'm still there's there's the ideal there's the delusion of grandeur there's the idea that he still is in control of this situation when he's so very clearly not but he believes that he is that was something that i really really caught me in this viewing was his physicality and his especially the first time he comes out of the bank and the first time he whips that crowd up into a frenzy, you know, he's testing the boundaries, seeing how far away he can walk from the door before, you know, they're going to try and jump him or some shit like that. Like, I just, he, he's, he's a man possessed in this film. Well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's funny too. And, and I, I love the idea of testing, testing the waters as you were kind of saying, because none of this was part of the plan, right? I mean, he, you know, they were expected to be in and out, you know, and, and of course that's not happened. And now all of this is happening on the fly. Like all of this is just dealing with it as it occurs. And so, you know, not only are the police are, but yeah, but now there's an audience and like, it's this weird, you know, then he catches himself on TV and then now we, and now he's being interviewed somehow through the phone on TV and, and like the, the celebrity nature of it starts to really kind of play into things too. And like, you know, part of the crowd is on Sonny's side. Like, let's, and then, the, you know, they start, the crowd starts mocking Durning at times too. It's just, it's, oh, you know. yeah, they keep, they keep repeating everything he shouts through the bullhorn. And, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I mean, we can't not mention the Attica thing. That line, the Attica, Attica, it's number 86 on AFI's top 100 movie quotes. And this is where my behind the scenes unsung hero comes in, assistant director Bert Harris who kind of whispered that in Pacino's ear before he went out and did it, something that wasn't planned. What a great thing. How timely that must have been. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think it's great. I get, I get whipped up into a frenzy as well every time I see it. I think Pacino did an awesome job getting that crowd onto his... I even know I scripted, obviously, part of the crowd is supposed to be with him anyway, but I, I think it's incredible. Watching it every time, it never gets old for me seeing Pacino just work that crowd. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 and it's, it's, you know, I think about like, cause who, cause I know, um, obviously Jack Nicholson won best actor that year for, for Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure who else was nominated. I might. So the nominees that year for best actor, uh, James Whitmore, who people will know from Shawshank Redemption, uh, from a movie called Give Him Hell, Harry, which is a movie I've, I've never heard of before. Um, Maximilian Schell uh, for The Man in the Glass Booth. And then Walter Matthau uh, for The Sunshine Boys. So, I mean, I really, it does, it It kind of feels like it was really a Jack a Jack versus Al race that year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I haven't seen those other three films. I mean, Walter Matthau is the only other one that I'm really familiar with. But, yeah. I mean, these are all, 
and Maximilian Schell, I mean, the only thing I know him from is a fucking Disney movie called The Black Hole from, like, 1980, Who Gives a Shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, who who else were you going to choose? It was Jack or Al, right? Yeah. And that's such, and that's a tough, that's such a tough, I mean, what, you know, what are you rewarding? What are you going for that year? What, what, what grabbed you more? I mean, that's such a, that's a, that's a tough pick. I, I don't know, man. I think as much as I love Jack and I love Jack, I go L this year. Oh man. I see. I think, and I think I would too. And it, it's you and know, for part- no other reason. It's almost like a cumulative for all four that he'd been nominated for to not win for godfather part two is just fucking insane i don't know who he lost to that year maybe you can pull that bunny out of the hat i i can and well we'll uh, cut we'll cut the we'll cut the dead air so that it looks like you do actually pull that rabbit out of the hat okay (laughs) so uh so again so i i I've not seen so here's your here's your here's your nominated crowd. You have Dustin Hoffman in Lenny, which is a movie I am interested in seeing, but I, it's like pretty hard to track down. Albert Finney, Murder on the Orient Express, which you talked about, and 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 he's a great pro. Uh, bringing Jack back, Jack Nicholson for Chinatown, which of, of course, but uh, they all lost to Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. I I know the name Art Carney, not heard of that movie. That seems like one of those ones that's due for a reevaluation. Uh this is this is the brief synopsis here. <laughs> when his apartment building is torn down, a retired lifelong New Yorker goes on a cross-country odyssey with his beloved cat Tonto. I already don't give a fuck about that movie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Over Al, over Jack, over who else? Who were the other two? Dustin Hoffman and Albert Finney. Shut, th- I don't, yeah, I don't need to see that movie. I don't give a shit. Like that, Holy balls. what the fuck were you people thinking? Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. Like just, just the Jack and Al showdown again. Yeah, I know, right? Incredible. Yeah. Like the work that, see, that's, I go, oh man, that's a tough one. See if you oh. give it if you give it to Jack if you give it to Jack for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest then it's got to be Pacino for for Godfather or yeah. vice versa. Yeah, but I that's t- and it's yeah because I do I actually think I ah that's fucking tough that's just fucking tough man. Yeah. If okay. I'll, yeah. No, I think I go. I think I go Jack for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Al for for Godfather. Yeah. I mean, I I think if that yeah that's probably the way I would do it too. Yeah, but the fact that I mean, we all know what Al eventually won for. He won for Sense of a Woman, which is just fucking stupid. <laughs> that movie is so long. Holy shit, that movie is long. Well, yeah, that's that's the way that that Martin Brest does it, man. Like Meet Joe Black is what three oh. hours and change. <laughs> oh my god, that why is that is... movie that long? Oh, why because, is it that long? Because we need to see. Brad Pitt have sex with Claire Ferlani for like seven minutes. We need it. We need all of it. Apparently so. Oh man. And we need like three scenes of, of Al Pacino, uh, not Al Pacino of, um, Hopkins, Tony Hopkins of Hopkins, like talking to a wall. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know what, I don't even think Anthony Hopkins knows what he's doing in that fucking movie. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. (laughs) 
But yeah, that's I mean we could we could sit and lament how wrong they got it all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I I yeah, I don't Well, and I, I mean, okay, well maybe this is not really about the movie, but I this came about uh so when I first saw this movie, it, I saw it at some point. I want to say probably, but probably in like 2002, because the 2001 Oscars again was such a pivotal year for me because I, I fell in love with all of the movies that were up for best original screenplay, and that's where I went down the steep dive of trying to watch the winners of this, which led me to movies like Usual Suspects and and Fargo that I really really liked, um, and then some others that I'm still like, well, why? Like, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the piano. Um, Ghost is a questionable win for me. Um, yeah, that's a that's a strange one. But the, I tried to and I tried to follow it back and and uh, had come the dog day afternoon, which I had never seen, but obviously knew the people who were in it. And um, dog day afternoon is a movie, and and maybe the, and maybe this is true with most movies. Who knows? But like, you know, to watch as a fifteen year old, like it was obviously like it was the energy and and how just kind of amazing the performances were really caught me. But like, yeah, each. Each time I've watched it, I found something, something else to to really pull me in. And this time, it was just the, the the empathy I felt for Sonny and Sal. And obviously, you know, obviously what they're doing is wrong. But it's 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 easier for me now, you know, in my mid thirties to go, to to try to think about why they're doing what they're doing, instead of just going like, well, fuck these guys. Which and the movie doesn't the movie doesn't even point us there. But to really to really think about it. And to see how, in a way, how caring and compassionate they are with the with the hostages, you know, they're not trying to, they're not being outwardly. Mean. I mean, you know, they, at first it's it's an intimidation. Yeah, they're putting tactic. it on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But like then, then you know, Pacino's trying to show the one lady how to do the the military drills with the with the rifle. So there's just, I, I don't know. It's such a. Each time I've watched it, I've I've come away with something more, and, and this time it was it was it was empathy for these people who are clearly in in dire straits. Well, everything about it is so genuine. I mean, nothing about this movie rings false to me. I know that they were worried about including the footage of the of the wedding because apparently that footage existed and was aired at some point. They were worried that the audience was going to burst into hysterics and they weren't going to be able to get them back, which I guess is what it is in the context of the seventies. I think, I, but I don't also don't think that we needed it. I, I think the shot of Leon in the wedding dress was kind of enough to yeah. give us a flavor of that but there's there's so much of it that just that that hits home i like i, I love the i i love the uh the, how genuine sal is when he's like hey you guys on tv you're saying there's two homosexuals in the bank i'm i'm not a homosexual you gotta you gotta stop saying that i mean it's yeah. it's so it like i come back around to to sal being so sort of naive and innocent to think that, oh, I'm going to be able to stop them saying that on, on live TV. You know what I mean? It's so so genuine. These guys are so out of their depth. And it, it, it never feels forced. Yeah. And and it's it's and it goes beyond them too. I remember I, an earlier moment in the movie is when and I forget I forget which of the of the bank tellers it is, but the one girl starts crying when she has to admit that there's only eleven hundred dollars in the vault. Like she's so yeah. like she immediately it's she's not scared of the robbery she's she's upset because she I well I might be putting more on this than is actually but like upset that she can't give them more like she knows why they're there she knows what they want and this is all they have to offer is this is this eleven hundred dollars 
And like she uh, like, oh, yeah. And that's that's why that rehearsal period of, of finding these characters was so important because all of them feel like even though we may not get to spend as much time with each of the individual bank tellers, they all feel like real people. There's the one who's hiding behind the desk that he calls the squirrel, and yeah. she has to have the conversation with her Carol husband. Kane. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. They're, they're done when they're done. Just make make whatever's make whatever's there. You know, the husband like worried that he can't get something to eat, and then there's they find the one girl who's been taking fifteen minutes instead of ten in the bathroom. All yeah. that stuff is so genuine, so real. I I love it, man. I can't find. I'm struggling to find something. I always try and find something negative to say. You know, I try to be fair and balanced. So there's literally nothing oh. negative I can say about this film. I know, and like, do, like again, like I forget what movie it was recently where like I said something and I was like, this is like the biggest criticism I have. Like, I have one thing that is just I, I just I couldn't help but think of when Pacino. You got some nitpicky. You got some nitpicky bullshit again. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Totally. When Pacino goes out there with the money and he starts throwing it into the crowd, it's very clear that the money he's throwing is going like four feet in front of him because they have to cut like 30 feet away to where the crowd is for like the money to be raining down. Oh, it's yeah, very yeah, yeah, clear yeah. that the money he's throwing is going nowhere and they have to they have to cut to the crowd and have it like rain down. That again, that is my nitpick. Like that is yeah. some like So what are you, what are you going to do? And and even the stuff that you know, I'll I'll bring up cuz uh you know my friend Josh I do. He saw this movie recently too. I told him I was gonna to, to do this one on the show and that he should watch it. So he watched it, and uh, the moment with the pizza guy, that whole exchange with him, and then when he, you know, he lets he helps Al into the bank. He opens the door for him, and Al tips him, and then he's just like, he jumps up into the air and he screams, "I'm gonna be a fucking star!" Like, yeah. Josh, Josh said to me, he's like, you know, I I know that isn't how it went down probably isn't how it went down but part of me hopes that it really did go down like that (laughs) i'm like yeah right like even the shit that isn't real you go man they found such they they found such realness in these people they found something i I keep the word i keep using is genuine that i can't get away from but everything about it everything about this movie strikes me as being something that obviously did happen in real life, but the minutiae of it is all something that could have happened in real life anyway. The bank manager, another great detail, the bank manager apologizing to the girls for using foul language. Yeah. When he's at the end of his rope. Oh, it's so great, man. Um, There's an aspect of the movie that I, I you know, we're, we're talking there and I'm, I'm kind of scanning through my notes. Who, who do you think is calling the bank? Oh, the the psycho guy who's he's telling them to just kill kill them all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know some sort of deranged. Maybe, well, I don't. I don't even want to say that. Yeah, you know, I mean he he talks about you know before Al hangs up the phone, the guy talks about get him with your bayonet. So I mean he's some poor fucked up Vietnam vet too, right? I mean, yeah. I just I. It's funny. I mean, I feel like everything, you know, we, we, we know we know about the people in the bank and we know what we know about Sonny and Sal. I mean, we know we know very little about Sal, but it's enough to know that he's got a relationship with with uh, with Sonny to, to be doing this bank robbery with him. But, yeah, that's one of those like loose end things. That I don't I don't mind. But like it, it's also just like really creepy and disturbing and kind of fucked up that like on top of everything else, you've got this guy calling you, urging you to just go through with it. Is that that's just. That's really, that really just, yeah. ugh. 
Well, I, I love when he's like, oh, the guy's calling again, and he hands him off to one of the girls, and the girl yeah. starts breathing really heavy down the phone at him to fuck with him back. That's that's a nice little detail. <laughs> and all the ladies saying fuck afterwards. Like, what did he say? He's like, he said fuck. And the one of them is like, well, I'm a Christian, and my ears are not garbage cans. Oh, so good. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. We didn't even really talk about some of like the camera moves in this film. Like, the way that the camera follows Al as he's like running from one yes. side of the bank in a frenzy to the other, I think they use like roller skates or put a yeah. put a cameraman in a in a rolling chair and pushed him to try and keep up with Al. And it's all every every detail. This is this is it's premium filmmaking, man. Every little detail, every little piece of minutia was thought through so well to the point where Lumet was even putting on the fake sweat himself. I, I, yeah, no, my note for this by the end of it was how meticulous this film felt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to, I don't want to go too negative with it, but I mean, there is a, there is a sense that this movie, there is a, even though it is very much, I think, a product of the time, there's a lot of viewpoints in it that are very 70s. There's a lot of language in it that's used that is very 70s. But the fact that there was always, there's always been a distrust of cops. Yeah. I mean, Al it, Pacino's character talks about it quite a bit. That's you know, he's like, that's that's what they want, man. They want to get us out there and spill our guts, spill our blood all over the streets. Yeah. And the fact, I mean, it's 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 never not going to hurt to see the fact that when he does, the security guard Howard, who's having the uh, the asthmatic attack, that's the first uh, the first hostage that he gives up. I mean, they put him out into the street, and the cops immediately jump on him and handcuff him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's never not going to be hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, well, and at the time of recording this, I mean, there were literally, what's the the, you know, epic fucking piece of shit who killed uh, George Floyd is on trial right now. So it's yeah, I mean, it's it will always be relevant in the context of, you know, what, I, whatever the most recent fucked up thing that the cops did recently, and I, and I hate I hate to phrase it that way, I really do, but. I mean, until it doesn't happen, unfortunately, that's I that's I, the, I can't that's wait. just the way you're going to be viewed. Yeah, right? I can't wait to not say it. Yeah, but yeah. Anyways, huh. So do you? I mean, do you have a favorite shot or I, like? I don't. I mean, I yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. There's there are so many good ones. There, it's. It's hard to say that there's there's like any kind of like big breathtaking shots in it. There's nothing about there's there's no extraordinary over the top cinematography. There's some great helicopter shots in it. Yeah. I love the little exchange between the cop and the news helicopter jarring for airspace. I think yeah. that's really great. Um and I mean it's just got to be it's just got to be the Attica stuff and Al out in the street whipping, whipping the crowd up into a frenzy that first time. There's nothing, again, nothing extraordinary about the way that it's shot, just the sequence as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I do. an incredible, I, vital piece of film. I really love um, the camera sticking with Pacino right there at the end for so long, especially after he see they, they show... Sal's body go by and but just oh yeah with with no dialogue the sounds of the airport drowning everything out and yeah. just yeah him knowing that he's fucked in fact you know the first words out of his mouth don't shoot me yeah that that, that there's a genuine again the word genuine there's a genuine plea like I, please don't shoot me I know this is what you want but please don't shoot me 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That whole airport stuff is great. Like I said, the the pacing of it is great. How drawn out it is. How oh, we yeah. have to go through this with them. Some people, I can feel. I I know that some people with shorter attention spans are going to have a harder time with the second half of this movie than the first half. But I I would promise them that it's worth it. The, yeah, the, the, the changing the changing of the pacing is for a reason. You are supposed to feel the weight of this day. I have I the only. I think maybe in terms of like last last things I'll say, but and it's not a negative, but I found myself of of two minds about this is when he's creating like the two wills at the end. Um, I totally get it. Part of me feels like Pacino was going slow in order to increase screen time. I think he could have done it. I think there could have been a, a bit more of a pep in his step there uh, because I don't because I, I think that's I think it's. It's important to see where he is in his mind, knowing that there's a good chance that he could he could die and and yeah, and, he's he's prepared to die at that moment. Yeah, um, but it's just it go it does I I I checked my watch a few times. Yeah, that during that well, was like I, I I get it. And it's not and again it's not bad. It's just like ah we could make we could go faster. <laughs> well, especially when you had that that amazing the fourteen minute phone call sequence. Yeah. I, I guess yeah sure if I gotta if I gotta cut something or reduce the runtime on something it, I, yeah maybe maybe lose the will stuff and, I don't but know. it's not it's not but it's not even like I want I don't want like I don't want less of of the words said I just think I just think there's a I think I think the overall pacing of the second half is fine and I think we I, I do think it's meant to feel drawn out that moment in particular just feels like you know a, a, kind of like an actor taking their sweet time. Yeah, and, and as it. and as I an actor who has taken his sweet time before, I know what that feels like. Yeah, when you when you stand there and you want to chew a little scenery, just, not, or just or just bask in the silence, like just like you're really thinking of the next thing to say. You know, it's all there. It's we've yeah. all got our tricks. When 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 did you do that specifically? Do you remember? <laughs> when, when- I mean, it, it probably happens in everything a little bit. Like the last big show I did in Seattle, there was this big speech I gave, and there was supposed to be a moment where I, I, in a, in a way, my character says more than he planned, and it's sort of a, it's a beat shift. And so I, I, I then, I stop talking about that and talk about something else. And there were probably nights where that beat shift lasted five to ten seconds longer than more than it needed to. It, it just depends. You got to feel it out. You just feel it out. Yeah. That's right. Was was this the one that I saw? Was this the 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 retreats? What was the name of oh, that yes. show, man? Yeah, Small Mouth Sounds. Yes. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. What a great show, man. That was a fun show. I missed that show. But it yeah, was, it was that's, a great that's, show. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm not I'm not just kissing his ass because I'm here talking to him. But he fucking Adam nailed it. <laughs> For all you listeners out there, he fucking nailed it. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was a fucking blast of a show to be in. That was like the last. That was the last big thing I did, man. That's how. That's yeah. how long quarantine has just made theater impossible to do. You got to get back on those boards, man. <sighs> as soon as they let us, man. As soon as they let us. All right. Well, that's. Is that. Is that it? Is that. Is that dog day taken care of? I, do you think. Uh, do you think Michael Ryan's up? Do you think we did? Uh, let us know, man. Do did we do justice to your I, pick? I hope I hope we did. I I hope we did. I mean, obviously, the it's it, it's it's a yes. It's a yes. This movie should be in the book. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, and for 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 all the reasons, for all the reasons we've said. I mean, it's just it's, you know, I I wonder, 
I mean, I, I like if you were to make a top, t- I know, I know for you how much you love this movie, but like you know, how many people making their top ten films of the seventies, you know, how how many people put this on there? I just feel like, I feel like probably it's not be- enough. What? Probably not enough. I mean, it's not on the IMDb 250. <laughs> well, and that's it. I like, like this. I mean, and because I'll be real, like this, this isn't in my top ten of all time. It it might make my top like 100. I don't I don't know. I'm just making shit up. But like, oh, I know it's in my top 25. No, I well, I I know that I know. But what but what I'm saying though is like this movie in my mind is in that is in that high esteem, and I was really. Really, just taken aback. I just, this, in my mind, this movie is on the AFI Top 100, and it is on the IMDb Top 250. And I was, I was surprised. I, I was surprised not to see it. But something like, but something like Yankee Doodle Dandy can make the AFI Top 100 list, but, but not. Oh, okay. not don't, Dog Day don't, afternoon. don't drag me down that hole again, man. <laughs> Please, no, <laughs> never again. I won't. I won't. We, we will never talk about that movie again. Um, but that is what we think of Dog Day Afternoon. But of course, as always, we want to know what you think. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Let us know what you think of Dog Day. Pacino's performance, John Cazale, Sidney Lamette, all of them. We'd love to hear what you think. You could find us on Spotify and Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, many others. Like, rate, subscribe, review, whatever any platform will let you do, do it. And we appreciate it very much. If you want to support the show, you can support us at patreon.com slash a thousand one by one. And you could be like Ryan Michael Zepp and you can, you can pick a film that we talk about. Uh, we have another Patreon pick coming up later this year. Um, and tune in next week as we will uh, divert from our regularly scheduled programming to uh, do a little bit of a, a, a glimpse into our thoughts into the the Academy Award nominations and who we think will win and what do we think of some of these movies and maybe we'll even uh, maybe we'll even do a list of our own by ranking the, the best picture nominees. Um, all that and more next week. But until then, I am Adam and I am Ian. And we will see you next week.